0: You're listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Rahman and Gary Hawkins.
1: We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more.
0: Hello, folks. Uh, we're back on air with another episode of the Retail Perch, and. Uh, the guests just seem to be getting better as the leaves turn beautiful colors here on the East Coast. And uh, Gary, how are you doing out there? Any snow in Denver yet?
1: Uh, there's certainly snow up in the mountains and a lot more leaves on the ground. So, winter is uh, coming this way pretty fast.
0: Anyway, I want to thank all the listeners out there for continuing to support us. And uh, we continue to run into some amazing people who agree to be on the retail perch. So, and uh, we have superstars really this weekend. I mean, I think. to use the word pioneers is light on these folks they have uh, created industries and uh, transformed stuff and uh, to have Andrew and Thomas Parkinson uh here as guests on the retail perch is going to be a fantastic treat so I'd say if you're listening to this episode if you're driving pull over stop and listen because this is going to be fun okay so um uh, with that, I want to uh, introduce uh, Andrew and Thomas Parkinson. The, the less I tell you about them, the better, because they just have stellar backgrounds. So, Andrew, uh, Thomas, whoever wants to go first, just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds, the amazing stuff you've done, and we can dive into the topics.
2: Well, let my older brother go first. <laughs> he always seems to defer. <laughs> but
3: first of all, uh, Shaker and Gary, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah. I'm not sure about the uh, term superstar. Sometimes we feel more like pioneers with arrows on our back, but <laughs> having us on the, uh, on the podcast. My background, uh, actually very similar to Thomas in some ways. I started out of college at Procter and Gamble in brand management, uh, then went on to Kraft Foods. While there, that was like 1982 or 83, we saw that a lot of people disliked grocery shopping, or actually physically going to the store. Um, and we also saw that a lot of a lot of the dollars being spent were by the cbgs in in marketing and advertising so after craft or i went from png to craft after that you know we saw an opportunity to basically create peapod which was a in our minds going to be a media where people would be shopping for their groceries online and this was like 1989 you know an online client uh, over a modem and
0: that would provide us with the opportunity to promote cloud. Hang on, hang on. I, let's stop. You said over modem? Yeah. Modem? So, yeah, so it was
3: 1989. Uh, 1989,
0: this is pre-internet, really. Yeah. This oh, was yeah, before, it was way uh, yeah.
3: Before Al Gore invented it. But yes, basically it was right around the same time that AOL and Prodigy were launched. So client-based, you used the client to dial up over a modem. So maybe a little bit before there was deep penetration
2: of modems at that point. But I'll have to send you some pictures of our modem rack that I built out of a crate and barrel wine rack, and then stuck the modems in it. And then <laughs> we had a, a Dell 386 server that 16 modems were connected to into that people would dial up into. So
0: Oh, my God, you have to send it to us. We're going to put that in the YouTube version of this podcast. So. Okay, <laughs> yeah.
2: It was actually pretty
3: funny, because it was right at the same time. I don't know if you guys remember Prodigy. Prodigy was was an IBM product, and the guys from IBM came out to visit us because they saw our first version, which was DOS based. Um, and it was really fast. Um, and we were working with Jewel Foods at that point to uh, you know, shop in store and and deliver, but it was so fast that they thought we were using some kind of mainframe. Mm -hmm. So they came out to visit with the intention of maybe you know making an offer on, on Peapod. And the first thing they asked was to see our mainframe in our, in our data ring room. And it was, it
2: was basically the wine rack. My Dell 386 <laughs> on, on the desk. <laughs> I said, no, 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 that's, you can't go into the data center.
3: No. <laughs> so anyway, that's, you know, we started um, right after I was working at, Kraft Thomas also can introduce himself, but he was working at p g as well in sales but then started a software company way back in the early 80s that was built basically building a relational database at the same time Oracle and Informix were. And uh, so he had kind of the technical skills and I had more of the uh, marketing side, business side of the of the uh, skill set. And we launched Epod in 1989, really with the idea of helping people grocery shop, some a chore that they didn't like, but also creating a media that we could, Promote products to people that we that they thought would be, you know, um, helpful to them. So it was all about convenience and trying to make it a better shopping experience for the customer. After so, we did Peapod. We took that public in like 1997, and then we sold it to Ahold in 2002, I believe. And while doing Peapod, we were kind of passionate about wanting to help people shop by diet, but really struggled with the quality of the data out there, the label data basically, because you needed good label data in order to be able to tag it by specific diets. So we started a company called Item Master Inside Peapod, which we eventually spun out, which captured the product label data and then syndicated it out to retailers. Well, that was fine, but then we found that most retailers weren't able to take that data and turn it into a functional product that help consumers match their dietary profile to the specific ingredients and um, you know dietary attributes. So we sold Itemaster to Syndigo, which was Gladson back then, and started Sifter, really with the idea of making healthy eating easy for everyone. And we can talk a little bit more about Sifter as we go. But I'll let my brother introduce himself.
2: Well, I don't know if I got much more to say, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I mean my background is after I was just uh studio art major in college and then I went to Procter and Gamble in sales and then I left Procter and Gamble and started that software company and it was specifically once it was kind of leading edge too it was a uh, software for executive recruiters and employment agencies it was resume search and retrieval based on a job description so we were really early that was 84 to
0: This is like the early version of Indeed
2: huh? <laughs> it, Yeah absolutely monster and so we sold that company in 88 and then I took a year off and traveled the world uh, by myself. And then I came back and that's when Andrew and I then started formulating Peapod. And I think one of the funny things was, Andrew was like, okay, now can we do something with like, can the interface have like lines on it? Can there like be lines and stuff? And I'm like, don't worry, bro. I I can make it look really good. Well, that's
3: know, it, was, it, was DOS, it was DOS then. Windows hadn't been. DOS-based. Before. So, yeah.
2: you know, um, but you could do a lot with ASCII characters, and right. you, when I send you the curses, the curses library, right, <laughs> right, right. right. Anyway, it's you know we we wrote all our own software. We you we gave out disks to the customer. They loaded the software up, and then it dialed up, and then we were connected to the Jewel mainframe where we got a, a price feed every day, and then applied that to our database. So we had accurate pricing, which was amazing back in 1990 and the customer then placed the order and then our employees they look pretty much like instacart people but they wore smocks and they were just shopping in the jewel in in uh evanston illinois was our first our first place so they shopped and then we put them into people's cars because andrew he forgot to tell you that he worked for domino's pizza for a while to learn home delivery uh, and so we we did delivery right from the store, so we could put uh, max three orders in a car, and deliver it around the neighborhood. So we weren't delivering in advance, Actually, it was we built the whole company delivering in in um, drivers cars? Wow! So, how
0: many cars did you have going around? Well, so well,
2: Andrew, what did we grow to? Well, we were
3: in we were in a lot of markets because we were with Kroger and Columbus and. Um, Indy and then we were with Safeway back then which was Houston Dallas and then we were in San Francisco yep then we were with Boston and uh with Stop and Shop and Giant Foods both Giants Um, so we had a lot of but eventually we started what we found we were shopping out of stores it became um congested because we were doing good business so we and it was hard to make money to be honest and we can talk about this later too but with same day delivery or one hour delivery it's very difficult to make money so we had to develop a route delivery system which landed up buying trucks um, and getting out of the, uh, the car business and building warehouses a lot of the warehouse some big automated warehouses and some very small um, that we called ware rooms because they were attached to like the stop and shop store but very similar to the micro fulfillment warehouses they talk about today um, so I think route delivery was a real key in our ability to actually Peapod became profitable as a company based on the fulfillment logistics, but also the route delivery that we provided.
2: Yeah, I mean, we could put twenty-two orders, twenty-four orders on a truck with one driver, but this was all next-day delivery. So we we developed a profitable next-day delivery model. Everything was going really well, and then it's like the ghosts from the past show up, and Instacart shows up, and they're once again, doing our model that we just got out of, which is (laughs) getting people to shop in the store and deliver it to people's homes and lose money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and so it's just kind of, it was just really strange to see it happen. And, but that hurt us because, you know, that made it difficult because now suddenly you had same day delivery again, which we used to do, but the quality is not as good. You know, it's not delivered in, in coolers. So, but, as we grew, Peapod and Ahol bought us. So this that didn't happen obviously till what say eight years ago, um, when when Instacart came out. But before that, we we expanded all over with warehouses, route delivery. It was it was big production. The last warehouse we built was three hundred fifty thousand square feet in Jersey City. It was a, a very, wow. very automated uh, facility. Well,
1: and, wow. and somewhere
2: in there was Webvan, right? Oh, yeah. Um,
3: yeah so that was that was another um interesting moment i forget exactly what year that was but it was
2: 97 up to 2000
3: so after we had gone public and uh i think in a lot of these cases as you guys know venture capital has been fueling a lot of the subsidy to the consumer and now the model is getting a little tougher when you actually have to make money or have a a model that makes money uh, which means it's why you're seeing that um turn toward the media networks and places where you have higher margins. But I I do know that, uh, you know, George Shaheen was running WebVan. And uh, when we at some point we got a call from him because they were running out of money and they wanted to see if there would be a partnership. But they they took the approach of build it and they will come. And we always took the approach of uh, incremental building, meaning one one city at a time, actually one small area at a time, get it to be profitable and then go to the next place. So we weren't burning cash uh, um, the way the others have been burning cash and Webman was burning a lot of cash at that point. So I think they went out of business, but it did put pressure. You know, when you're getting subsidized by investment dollars and you offer no delivery fee or low delivery fees, guys that are trying to compete, it's, it's not always that simple.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow, this is amazing. I don't know if you've seen uh, uh, a series on AMC called Halt and Catch Fire. But if you haven't, yeah. it's, about, it's about the computer industry, tracing it from the mid-70s through the internet age. And it it almost seems like, speaking to you guys, you guys have kind of seen the... Birth of e-commerce, dial-up commerce commerce, really more than e-commerce, right? Dial-up commerce all the way to now, and you've seen the transitions. And so, are you seeing some of the some of the mistakes that you made earlier that you corrected being made again?
2: Um, Yeah, uh, I mean that's
0: a whole yes. The whole Instacart thing with the shoppers.
2: The the biggest mistake is the customer proposition that they're offering. So you know this thirty-minute delivery. So you've got teeny little orders with no gross profit in it. You're never going to make money. And so and then we were doing three hour lead times and hour and a half delivery windows and, you know, out of a store. So that was less aggressive. And we still it was a challenge to make money till we moved to warehouses and did next day with trucks and, you know,
0: 20. Do you think it's because of customer expectation or is it because of competition where you feel that's the edge that you have?
2: Oops. I don't think it's customer expectation, to be honest. I think yes, there's certain things they want right away, but in general, grocery shopping is a planned <laughs> event, and so I don't think you know planning it the night before is such a terrible thing. But if you offer it now, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you asked a customer, "Would you like lower prices?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Right. Who's right. going to say no? Yeah, okay.
3: I, I think what's yeah. interesting. I mean, I think, you know, the play now is make your money on the on the media network um, and on the advertising to subsidize the losses. But when you look at the like average order sizes of same day versus what we had in kind of next day route delivery, we were running over $150 per order. I just read something where they're averaging, and I don't know if you produced this, I think you might have Gary, but $30 per order. I saw some research on these same days. So $30 per order, is just not gonna have enough gross margin to cover your picking and your fulfillment costs and all your corporate overheads and everything. Um, Right. So it's a a little mystery of where that's all gonna go. Um, Unless you can make money on the the ad network. And then of course that, there's a lot of conflict there between the the retailers, you know, who view that as their dollars and the media networks um, that are not internal to the retailer.
0: Yeah, and I'm seeing yeah. a lot of retailers now shift to owning their own in-house retail media network. I
2: saw a recent announcement. Right, my former company, Ahold. Ahold. Just Ahold. Yeah. yeah, and uh, of course Walmart yeah. and Albertsons.
1: Yeah, and I, I think certainly the bigger guys have in part gotten into the re, you know media network business to help subsidize their their e-commerce costs, right? As they continue to build that out in search for efficiency
2: right yes for yeah. sure I mean you know the media and I'll send you a picture so you know I'm telling the truth but from 1990 we had ads and electronic coupons so media was very much a part of our economic model we just weren't big enough but we were out there selling it and it wasn't until we got larger and also we teamed up with my web grocer at some point who was the larger sales team that could get out there and sell and we we became part of their network which was a bigger, set of retailers. So that then really started to turn the corner for us. And then sponsored products was the biggest winner when it came to, I mean, mm. it's just amazing. Uh, so, you know, that's where you are within, if someone searches for something, you get some placements inside the search the product right. Search, So Right,
0: right, right. So before we move on to the next topic yeah. question, so where do you think, uh, where do you think e-commerce is heading? We saw during the pandemic, of course, it exploded and retailers were kind of really running around trying to figure out a solution to service our customers. I guess the sales, e-commerce peaked right around maybe October, November 2020, early 21. And now you're starting to see it kind of flatten out. Uh, you yeah. know, Do you see do you see it steadily growing back up? Which, uh, what do you
3: think? I think this is my view. I think the home delivery and pickup will grow at some reasonable growth rate, you know, 10, 10, 15% over time. But what what intrigues me the most really is the fact that all of us, you know, including PPI, we were focused only on e-commerce for so many years. And I think the focus now, and this is what Sifter's focused on, is the in-store uh, customer as well, because um, technology can be used to help them make decisions at the point of purchase at the shelf. So I think, All you're starting to see a little bit of a shift towards in store and how technology can help. We're definitely focused kind of more on in store, even though we work for online, but helping the customer there. So I think you'll start seeing that shift just because e commerce delivering pickup will start to flatten a little bit and is only 10 to 15 percent of the volume. So, like for these media networks, you're going to have to have some kind of form in store to promote or you know products that fit someone's specific you know, diet or issues. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. And one other thing that held back Peapod's growth is our business requires a lot of infrastructure. It requires hiring a lot of people and it has peaks and valleys of, of demand. So to, if for instance, hiring drivers, like you need them on the weekends, but like Wednesday and Thursday, there was very little demand. So how do you can't hire them full time? And then for hiring, you know, people, selectors, we call them selectors, people who shop the groceries in the warehouses, they're hard to scale up you gotta build the warehouses. So you couldn't just turn on the spigot. Like the way Amazon did, cause they used UPS and they, you know, they outsourced all their logistics in, in the beginning so that they could just grow really fast. We couldn't do that. There was no way to outsource it all. So we were like at around, and it was like 15% growth every year because we just couldn't expand the infrastructure fast enough with the amount of capital that we had. And we didn't want to make the same mistakes as web band, so Right, yeah. Um, but one thing I'll say when we started our next company after Peapod, I said to my brother, okay, there's two things. Okay, we are never going to deliver a physical good again in our lives. <laughs> and no HR department. <laughs> well, we actually do have HR. We do have an HR person. Okay. So. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Kate, if you're listening, I guess, you know, you spared them a lot of grief. So uh, anyway, so so that's true. That was peapot. obviously great learnings. And you figured out some things in terms of a business that can scale and bring value over a continued period of time. So you brought, you started Item Master. And I guess you said, like you said, the motivation was it just wasn't good enough labeled data. And you were trying to create some data store, which would provide you know the raw material to draw insights and right
3: exactly so that you could filter and sort by ingredients nutrition you can't do that in a dependable way and why a way that consumers trust if you don't have good core data
2: and then also it was also the economic model because we were a retailer and we were paying for the data at the time and i was like well why aren't the cpg companies paying for it and then giving it to us so that's when you know, we had the idea, well, let's create an exchange where they can upload all their information. And then we, we distribute it to all retailers. So the only problem was, is that the uh, CPGs didn't have the data either. So we then started capturing it with cameras and, you know, um, outsourcing all the, the um, OCR and QA Mm -hmm. and everything. So then we were suddenly competing with companies like Gladson and um, others, but you know, our passion was six images. It was there with the GS1 standard was six images, all the product data from the package and make it super accurate. So we were really, really good at capturing the the absolute packaging data that we then were able to
0: distribute to the consumers. And you kept that updated as the CPGs changed packaging and because that happens constantly. That's hard.
3: That's hard. I mean, that's still a struggle today. But That's part of why we wanted to create an application that consumers could use, the data that consumers could use, because the more it's being used, the more important it is to the CBGs to provide good data into the network. Um, It was frustrating in the sense that we were providing really great data, but no one was creating an application Mm -hmm. that could match someone's diet to um, to the products, the branded products or the private label products. So that's really why we said, okay, we need to do it ourselves because we had the Peapod experience of building a scalable online service. We had the data experience in ItemMaster, and combining those two, we were lucky to be able to re- recruit the best in the industry from Peapod and from ItemMaster. Um, you know, Judy Sabold on the nutrition side, and Tim Franklin, our CTO, and John Wilson, who's our head of data, and John Ferdinand, who ran operations at both uh, Peapod and ItemMaster. So we brought the whole team together.
2: Zanek who ran all the product data at Peapod. It's awesome. Yeah.
3: And our QA Olga. It's just a ton of, we have a ton of great people. When we knew how great they are, because we'd worked with them before, the right. so launch, you know, get Sifter off the ground. And so a lot of people misunderstand kind of what we're trying to do at Sifter. Because while we built a consumer-facing app, in a lot of ways, it's just a demonstration of the power of what any platform can do with our data. So we make all of our data, we make all of our functionality like recipe sifter or scan by diet available to any retailer, health platform, recipe platform that wants to use that data to help their clients, customers, patients, you know, uh, eat more healthily. So we're really a B2B2C company, not a B2C. You're an
0: enabler, really. Of, right.
3: right, right, right. right.
0: Um,
3: but we just built a scalable functionality so that it's easier and the API, so it's easier for other platforms like retailers to build it into their own platforms.
2: I that's, think we're a lot like Intel inside, you know, that's where that- Right. Uh, one thing that's really key about us is the technology that we've put in place is highly scalable. And so we're an API first company. So all those APIs that are accessible to put these features into your product, it has to be super scalable. So something we knew a little bit about um, for Peapod so all nice. architects do that nice yeah I mean birds for instance Birdseye would be a great client of ours
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I forgot to mention this I think Gary, you know first uh, when my co-founder Frank and I were starting Birdseye and we were looking at you know applications that we could use to we were initially in the location product location and helping shoppers map stores and stuff yeah. so we were looking at a Add a model application that we could build, or we could overlay our capability. And guess which application we picked up? That was the that was the inspiration. Was the Peapod app, right? <laughs> so so we looked at the Peapod app and said, how? What if what if we could add in store location of product to this? So essentially, we look at that design. You know, I'm gonna confess, we ripped it off, and we said, hey, let's add product location to this. Well, this is a public acknowledgement of the fact that we were inspired by you guys. But <laughs> well, but yeah. it is a
2: cert, you know, um, design is a circular thing as you look at your competitor, then you kind of copy some of them, then they look at you, and they copy yeah, some yeah. Effort, and you know, goes what goes around comes around when it comes to that. So
0: yeah, I mean, you know, that's how gets things get better, right? You, you there are always people smarter than you as long as you acknowledge that you're able to learn and improve and you know, uh, hopefully cover your blame spots in some way. And right. you know, I've always seen uh, what everything that you guys have created. I didn't know it was you, but Peapod, Item Master. I thought they were just fantastic services, which just enabled. Because data is something that we talk about on the show a lot, and Gary and I spend a lot of time, in, and we keep trying to emphasize to retailers that you know, with all the new technologies and capabilities that are out there, they're useless if you don't have good data, right? Having data in good, uh, standardized, normalized, clean formats, whether it's transaction data, product attribution data. You know, all of that is so critical because without that, a machine really can't do much. Yeah. You can't use all these latest technologies.
3: I think not only, are, you know, is the core data and the attribute data really important, but what I think is really cool about what we're doing with Sifter is it's, it's first party data in the sense that the consumer is telling us what they are interested in, Correct. based right. on what their diet is. So we're not analyzing necessarily post-purchase data. Correct. They're telling us I'm gluten-free and I'm a diabetic and I'm non-dairy yeah yeah. products that fit Um, so for the retailer or for anyone analyzing you know what to target to that customer it's goldmine from that
0: perspective yes i I mean i I like to call it intent-based personalization yeah intent. yeah yeah, completely so it's it's your you know there's nothing better than somebody telling you what they want yeah (laughs) that's better to personalize
3: (laughs) and i think that's where we have to be also careful because Like I've seen Google and Amazon become like a goat rodeo of advertising, irrelevant advertising. So I want to make sure as we work with retailers and other platforms that they use the data to recommend products that fit a customer and not things that are irrelevant to the customer. So that's our, I think the huge opportunity here is how to target incentives or ads based on those profiles that the consumer is giving to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, you know, the, the health-related nutrition-related data that we're speaking of ties back into the earlier discussion on retail media networks, right, that so many retailers are pursuing. You know, you look at a, a Kroger as a great example, you know, giving the advertiser access to all that data and the ability to slice and dice that to really fine-tune and, and target their specific audience and the, the type of information sifter produces just helps further that. And I, I think you're you're dead on that. The smart retailers will understand the importance of relevancy to the shopper, but there's still way too many retailers to say, you know, write me a check and you can reach whoever you want to. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. the
2: same way for assortment too, right? <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, whether I carry the product in the store or not, depends on whether you're going to pay me. Right.
2: <laughs> the customer I don't needs. care about the customer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I, I think much like healthcare, where, you know, a lot of healthcare is becoming outcome focused. Uh, I think in retail, you know, I see more and more retailers understanding that the more I can learn about my shoppers and what they like and what they don't want, well, actually not only help me become more profitable it'll also drive loyalty because it ex- it exhibits to the shopper that my retailer gets me they 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 carry what i want you know they're able to recommend product and i think especially during the last two years with covid when you know health you know awareness just shot up and people are cooking more at home buying more of their ingredients at home I think all of this has just come to floor. I love it, actually. I think I know that's one of the silver linings of whatever happened is I think people have just become more conscious about what they eat, what they buy, what's on label.
3: Yeah. And actually, I think it's going to be really helpful for the CBGs, for the brands, because like with Sifter, you can can publish your brand story as part of our database. So that brand story can go to any retailer's catalog um, that wants to take it. So that the consumer can be better informed about the specific benefits of that brand, and of course, they could work with the retailer to target their ads, you know, right. specifically to customers yeah. that benefit from them.
2: Yeah, I mean, the other thing I think is really cool that we've worked with CPG on is they wanted to know how they came out with before they launched the product, so they sent us their ingredients formulation, and we ran it through our algorithms, and we were able to report back to them. Where do they stand in terms of all these diets? So, Mm -hmm. thinking, well, maybe we make that a product for CPGs where they can just, you know, enter their nutrition and see, and then our algorithms run against it and give them all the, all the kind of like
0: the wind tunnel. You know, let's, yeah, it's like a wind wind tunnel. tunnel. Exactly. (laughs) Great analogy. That's a great (laughs) way to
2: say it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're gonna quote me if you use that, right? Yeah. Sorry.
2: Okay, you got it. <laughs> we do,
0: we do quote the. the no, uh, this is a quid pro quo. I took
1: something from you. you, yeah, you I was you, gonna say that that makes up for uh, that basically. makes up for. It. That's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were always a huge fans of the Wright brothers because we're brothers, obviously. Yeah. Of yeah. We always refer back to the Wright brothers. <laughs> there
0: you go. There you go. Fantastic. So, so what's the vision for Sifter? Where, where do you see it going? I
3: mean, our. At least, I, Thomas, can, you can speak, but I, what I hope is to reach as many people as possible to help them um, get healthier um, through Food as Medicine. And that's why our strategy is really to put our put our technology in as many platforms that, as can use it to reach their customers. I mean, it would be a long road for us to build a, a B2C app, but if you go to a Walmart or an Albertsons or Kroger who have hundreds of millions of customers, I think we can reach them pretty quickly and really benefit them in terms of finding food that fits their specific diet. And I think that's the other issue out there. You know, food as medicine is really only been focused on like fruits and vegetables, fresh right. stuff. But there's tons of other products, dry, refrigerated, frozen, that fits someone's health profile. And we we aren't rating products. We're just telling you what's in them and if they match uh, your specific dietary issues. So we want to reach as many people as we can, because we think, you know, there's, a, as you know, a huge health crisis out there, 180 million people with allergens, 60% of us, some kind of chronic disease, whether it's yep. diabetes or hyperintensive or whatever. So that's our goal really is to be as helpful as we can in this specific area of food as medicine or, and I think, you know, we're lucky in the sense that we have the background to maybe, you know, pull it off. Um, and. I've, we've already built a pretty impressive platform when you look at our APIs and backend and scalability. So I'm pretty hopeful and positive about where we're headed. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are doing something amazing. So, yeah. I
2: mean, when we first, you know, the social, like being able to do some sort of social improvement, when we first started Peapod, I was a driver, so I delivered to a lot of a lot of people. We were helping housebound people too. It wasn't just, you know. Yuppies out there, if that's what they used to call them, young urban <laughs> professionals. But it was elderly, it was people that, you know, were disabled. That's who we were really helping, also, which yeah. was just a great feeling. And now I feel like with Zifter, we have a huge mission, you know, to help make this nation healthy again. It's just uh so it's a big project, but I I feel like we're we're working really hard, but for a really great purpose. So
3: which I don't know, did you guys track the, the Washington conference um, on basically food as medicine, food security? Yeah. 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 So we're, we're trying to we're address both, actually. We're going to allow you to find products that are eligible for SNAP, EBT, or these food care programs like Fresh Connect, yeah. and also bounce those eligible products against your specific dietary attributes. And uh, I think that would be because a lot of the people who can't afford food also don't have sufficient nutrition. And we can help with, with both of that, um, I believe. So,
2: that, that actually is one of my most exciting things is that for a healthcare company to issue, say, a diabetes card that's only good on dia- uh, products that are good for you if you have diabetes, and we supply that data. Mm. And, then, and then when you're at POS, it will only validate that assortment that we're delivering to that card. So, right. and uh, yeah, that's,
0: that's really and- cool. I, th- I think there's lots of ways, obviously, I think. As we try to build, and that's been one of the things that we've been quite passionate about, trying to build the bridge between healthcare and and re- food retail, right? And there's a huge disconnect, as you know, uh, between the two. You know, right. the more we can try to build it together, and you know, the more people that can focus on the solution, the more the faster we get there.
3: Right? Totally. That's why we should be talking. Should I know.
0: I know. <laughs> that's why we're talking on the retail perch, but outside of it as well. But you know. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been terrific. I mean, I, the minute I met you at that grocery shop and David reached out to me saying, hey, I want to talk to you guys, you know, that was, that was I just jumped on it. I didn't even give him a chance to say, you know, oh, maybe, maybe not. No, I said, Peapod, item master, sifter, of course I want to meet these guys. And I was just so impressed with you, you folks. And now, uh, I don't know about that. But I, way... part,
3: part of our model, by the way, is because we had the experience of being on the other end, being the Peapod, being a, you know, hiring vendors, mm-hmm. We're really focused on how do we make it a, a much smarter uh, thing to buy or license from us than to build? Because the cost of building of what we build, if everyone did it separately, it costs millions. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, agree. I agree. Gary, anything else? This has been fantastic. I mean, yeah. uh, for anybody listening to this, this is like a history lesson in e-commerce and you know data management and the whole deal. Hopefully we didn't talk too much. Sometimes we have a hard time keeping <laughs> up. No, it's, it's
1: it's been great. I, I think there will be a lot of listeners out there that will uh, remember a lot of those uh, early days as you know things develop. I know I certainly. You were bringing to mind. You know we were one of the first retailers when I was still practicing retail uh, to offer online. So it uh, brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. That's
1: amazing. Some good, well, some that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely cyclical. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it seems to me that, uh, you know, I know this podcast is uh, episodes almost done, but it seems like uh, there's definitely a lot of points of uh, commonality in terms of where we can definitely continue discussing and bring more solutions to Retail, where everybody else was listening out there. I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as Gary and I have. And, you know, as usual, Gary, the 35 minutes just disappears. It's like, what happened? What did I do today? Well, I spoke to Andrew and Thomas. That's what happened. That's how it disappeared. So it's been a great conversation. I appreciate your time here. And Gary, any closing thoughts?
1: no thank you guys for being with us great kind thank of you guys really thank you so much and you
0: know and by the way if you send us your addresses i'm assuming that you guys don't live too far from each other no uh, <laughs> okay um <laughs> uh, but we will send you the retail perch coffee mug and oh, we'll, yeah, yeah there you go so stephanie will send you an email and uh she'll ask for your mailing addresses and she'll send you a copy of the mug and next time you get on the show and um, as after you've conquered a few more mountains. I'll get on and have some coffee together on the show and have another chat. But that sounds
3: great. Well, Thanks thank you so guys. Much. Yeah, we look forward to hopefully seeing you before too long. Absolutely, right. thank you so much. Thank Bye. you, good Bye. talking yeah. with you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook.
1: And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at retailperch at birdseye.com.
0: Until next time, this is Shaker.
1: And this is Gary, signing off.